Khuni, The Crimes of India is a thoroughly researched podcast that uses publicly available documents, reports and books and associated media to provide listeners with a complete picture of the week's case. The following content is often graphic and regularly uncomfortable. Mentions of assault, bodily harm and death may follow. Khuni, The Crimes of India does not condone any actions mentioned in the episode. Minors are advised to exercise caution before proceeding. Thank you. Hasmat Hussain is a retired primary school teacher who lives in Bhavankheri, a village in Hasanpur Tehsil of Amroha in western Uttar Pradesh. On 14th April 2008, back when he was teaching, he had a tiresome day teaching the rascals in his class. He went home tired and the unusual April humidity was not helping matters. He had a fitful and unsatisfactory sleep. He was tossing and turning for a long time. Around 1 a.m., he slowly drifted into a light slumber. At about 2 a.m., he was jolted awake by the screams of a woman. At first, Hussain thought he was dreaming. But then the screams only got louder. Fighting off his drowsiness, Hussain quickly woke up his son. By the time Hussain was awake enough to realize what was happening, he realized it was Shabnam. the woman who stays with her family in the house just across the road from the family's house his first thought was oh it's probably a robbery but then hussain and his son quickly ran to the house by this time a few neighbors were also there and they were also trying to figure out how to get inside the gates of shabnam's house were locked they tried to scale the boundary wall and saw shabnam who was standing on the first floor in the balcony Her screams were getting louder and more pitiful. They asked her to come down, but she kept crying, saying that they'll kill her next. After a lot of persuasion, she came down the stairs and opened the locks to the main door. Hussain ran up and saw a horrific scene, straight out of a horror movie. Hussain would have recurring nightmares of that night forever. Master Ji and the rest of the family. were lying in scattered pools of blood all of them dead namaste namaskaram welcome to today's episode of khuni the crimes of india As usual I am Sneha and I have with me Aditi on Skype. For those who don't know I'm in Hyderabad and Aditi is in Lucknow. Hello to all our old listeners and a very khuni welcome to all our new listeners. So Aditi how do you do? Hey dude this is a special anniversary early release episode you forgot to say that. Oh oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. So guys happy khuniversary. Happy khuniversary Aditi. It's okay. I mean, we started this podcast to kill time during lockdown and I for one did not imagine that we'll be doing this a year after that day. But on that note, thank you so much guys for sticking with us through thick and thin and covid. It's literally all your love that kept us going and doing research even long hours and days of work. So thank you. Also Very random but we just saw that we topped the Apple charts in Belize <laughs> for a few days this week. 
सो थैंक यू बिलीज एंड इफ देर एनी लिसनर्स फ्रॉम देर लिसनिंग टू अर्स राइट नाउ प्लीज रीच आउट टू अर्स ऑन इंस्टाग्राम और ट्विटर एट खूनी द पॉडकास्ट वी वुड लव टू हियर फ्रॉम यू अदिति यू वॉन्ट टू थैंक एनी वन ओके ओके आई एम गोइंग टू होल्ड अ वाटर बॉटल इन माई हैंड फॉर इफेक्ट वी आर नॉट गेटिंग एनी अवॉर्ड्स नॉट येट एनी वे शर अप डोंट रूएन दिस फॉर मी ओके सो हेर आई गो I'd like to thank the people of the world who refuse to wear masks and roam wild. Thanks to you the lockdown will never end and I can keep doing this forever. Thanks. I would also like to thank my dog who has always been my only source of support through late night script writing or recording sessions. Lazo, you might be the only dog in the world capable of being visibly irritated by their human. I am also sorry for not letting you sleep. several nights that's on me this long ass unnecessary speech was prompted by that one random dude in our dms who complained about how much we talk about our personal lives here guy if you're listening i hope this irritated you because if it irritated you knowing that would make me happy okay i'm done sure on that note uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the day we've planned out for you um, we have a lot more planned out for you this year just keep your ears and eyes out for some big announcements very soon oh just one more thing we have to say before we get back into the story so now we have a little team shreya is our social media and outreach manager so sh- you have her to thank for all our kickass social media posts and karthik is our audio editor and producer also a big big thank you to shreya and karthik for helping us keep the khuni boat afloat dude stop with the stupid rhymes but it's so cool it's not cool at all anyway so today we'll tell you a story that was 12 years in the making a love story that was doomed from before it began a night that changed the course of a village's life and a boy who was born in prison Today we'll tell you the story of Shabnam and Salim. This is again a very requested episode. We've gotten a ton of requests for this episode ever since the time the Supreme Court upheld Shabnam and Salim's death sentence. Anyway, this story starts in Bavankhedi village in Uttar Pradesh like we've already told you in the opening. The village itself is like any of the million villages in India. and the name literally means village number 52 in all the accounts and newspapers that i've read for this episode the villagers now jokingly call it shabnam's village so who was shabnam shabnam and her family lived in a sprawling 9 acre property surrounded by gardens and a mango orchard i have seen pictures of this house now and it just bears like clear signs of aging Shabnam Ali lived in that house with her father Shaukat Ali and their family. Shaukat Ali was a man who spent his life in the pursuit of education. He taught arts at Taharpur Intermediate College. He was a soft-spoken, mild-mannered person. The villagers say that Master Ji, as they fondly called him, was a great man. He apparently used to give free tuitions to children who needed them and never discriminated on any basis when it came to opportunities. Shabnam was his only daughter. Shabnam, like any other 22-year-old, was fond of going to the beauty parlor. Her friends would pull her leg saying that she would spend all the money she wanted, but 
she would still be dark complexioned she would simply smile okay how is this okay uh this was 2008 in north india i mean it was it still is a different time it was much worse back then true i should know anyway <laughs> shabnam was also well educated she holds a double ma in english and geography and worked as a siksha mitra government school teacher at a primary school in the village her elder brother anis was an engineer in punjab and rashid the younger one was doing his final year btech the family was well settled they had a lot of property elsewhere in uttar pradesh okay i could not exactly find where this was or where this property is uh if anyone knows can you please tell us so we can share it with the class this property was apparently worth at least 25 to 30 lakh a bigha so a bigha is a unit of measurement of land used in uttar pradesh and is approximately equal to about 2500 square meters then there is this big house with two floors and adjoining 100 bigha agricultural land with fruit trees the family belonged to the safi community that has around uh, 100 houses in this all muslim village with an estimated population of 3500 safis are traditionally into furniture making also called badei salim on the other hand was a pathan now even though the pathan community dominated the village in numbers and is considered superior to the safis there was a significant difference in the educational and financial status of their families you can almost say that even within the same village Salim and Shabnam belonged to different worlds. Ah, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, ironically, yes. Anyway, so Salim was a school dropout who dropped out after class 6th. He came from a poor family and worked at a wood sawing unit near Shabnam's house. Even before the fateful night of April 14th, 2008, there were tensions in the Ali family regarding Shabnam's relationship with Salim. The weirdest thing is even the fact that they were in a relationship wasn't widely known at the time of the crime. Even Salim's father, Ahmed Ru, was not aware of it. I've seen articles where newspapers have spoken to close friends of Shabnam and Salim and no one claims to have even known that they were seeing each other. A friend recalls that she had seen Salim around Shabnam's house, but the two never looked like they were together. But if you think about it, this sort of makes sense, right? A pair in love but knowing that the families might not agree will try and keep the relationship as private as possible this is literally a tale as old as time yeah, in fact emma yeah. dru told the print that had he known about this he would have gotten them married as we already told you around 2 am on 15th april 2008 bavan kheri woke up to a gut wrenching cry from ali's house बचाओ बचाओ कोई मेरे परिवार को मार के चला गया है और हेल्प समवन हैज किल्ड माय फैमिली एंड फ्लेड लोकल रेजिडेंट्स रश टू द साइड एंड फाउंड द डोर्स ऑफ द अली हाउस लॉक्ड फ्रॉम इनसाइड अ वेलिंग शबनम ओपन द डोर्स शीड बीन स्लीपिंग ऑन द टेरेस शी सेड एंड व्हेन शी केम डाउन शी डिस्कवर्ड दैट हर फैमिली हैड बीन एक्स्ड एट द नेक बाय द कॉइट्स ऑन द फर्स्ट फ्लोर सेवन बॉडीज वर फाउंड Shabnam's father Shaukat Ali who was 55 her mother Hashmi who was 50 her older brother Anis who was 35 his wife Anjum and their 11 month old baby Arsh then there was Shabnam's younger brother Rashid and her cousin Rabia Arsh 
had been choked to death. The courtyard, which extends into the balcony, opens into three rooms. In one of these rooms, Anis, his wife and their baby lay dead. Arsh was found between the dead bodies of his parents. The adjacent room was Rashid's and it still had blotches of rusty red on its dull green walls. I've read multiple accounts of this room and they all say the same thing. In fact, uh, Shabnam's uncle, Sattar Ali, who moved into the house with his family after the murders, makes it his job to point out these rusty red stains to every journalist who visits. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, I hate how he's turning this house into some murder house tour or something. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Anyway, so a few minutes later, the police arrived and Hussain, the neighbor, took Shabnam home for a few hours. At the far end of the courtyard is the room where Shabnam's mother and her cousin were killed. Shabnam used to usually sleep there, but that night she didn't. Shabnam told the police later that she had been sleeping on the terrace since it had become hot and uh, that particular night she had come down because it started raining and discovered the murders. The then Amroha SHO, R.P. Gupta, took over as the investigating officer in the case on April 15th. He told the press that he had his doubts the moment he saw the beds on which the victims lay. Apparently, the crumpled sheets were not crumpled in the way they would have been had the victims actually thrashed about while they were being attacked. So when he took the bodies for post-mortem, he asked the doctor if it was possible to check if they had been drugged. The blood-stained pillows, the mattress, the quilt, the rope of the cot found near the respective dead bodies were sealed and taken to the forensic science laboratory in Muradabad for analysis. The doctors who conducted the post-mortem that afternoon found traces of the tranquilizer diazepam, uh, Biopose is the brand name, in the viscera of all the bodies except 10-month-old Arshes. The police found a medicine wrapper in the house. A few hours later, the police recovered blood-stained clothes from Shabnam. They also found out that there had been 52 calls between Shabnam and Salim on the night of the murders. After being questioned by the police, Salim himself recovered the axe that he had thrown away after the murders and handed it over to R.P. Gupta. The police also found a Nokia mobile phone, one empty wrapper of 10 biopose tablets, blood-stained clothes, Salim's uh, mobile SIM card, all in Shabnam's possession. So, five days after the murders, on April 19th, Shabnam and Salim were arrested and sent to Muradabad jail. Gupta was hailed for his quick investigation and he received a cash award of 50,000. A few days later, Salim was shifted to Agra Central Jail. In December 2008, Shabnam, who was seven weeks pregnant when she was arrested, gave birth to their son Taj. Taj was born in the Muradabad jail. When the trial started, the prosecution argued that Salim and Shabnam were involved in a quote-unquote love affair and an illicit physical relationship. Not my words, I am quoting from the judgment. I wonder why they say illicit. I mean, there is no law against premarital sex people. Um, maybe because it's not given the go-ahead by marriage. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure of this. Like, they could have just called it a romantic relationship. But no, they had to go and throw in the word illicit there. Ugh, I'm so done with the judiciary, man. <laughs> Already? 
we haven't even reached halfway into this case so in the trial court the prosecution argued that the motive for the commission of the offense was to eliminate shabnam's family who vehemently opposed the relationship and take the entire property from the family creating financial security for themselves you know what i really don't like like this is something that i've noticed from the days we were studying law i hate how clinical all these judgments make out people's actions to be i mean i know how this is supposed to make everyone equal before law but actually it does more harm than good in my opinion it ignores the situation they come from like it ends up making a few people a little more or a little less equal than others yeah what you said makes sense in a very roundabout way like for example in today's case was there really a need to call their relationship quote unquote illicit i mean you know thereby attaching a negative connotation to something where it is absolutely not needed so moving on after the investigation the charge sheet was drawn and the couple was charged with murder under section 302 of the ipc so the prosecution examined 29 witnesses and the reports from the forensic laboratories apart from obviously recording the statements of shabnam and salim this is actually when something strange happened during the trial the couple turned against each other shabnam said salim had entered the house with a knife through the roof and killed all her family members while she was asleep salim on the other hand said that he reached the house only at the request of shabnam and that when he reached there she confessed to having killed the others we'll elaborate on this in a few seconds so you have to understand that this case as a whole relies heavily on circumstantial evidence as there were no eyewitnesses to the murders the prosecution relied on the testimony of two neighbors to establish that the main door to the house was locked from the inside if you remember they had to persuade shabnam to come down and open the door into the house these two witnesses also stated that they did not see any bed covers or any sleeping arrangements made on the roof of the house where shabnam said she was sleeping and she only came down because it started pouring that night so they both testified that her bed was made near her mother's bed mahendra singh who was the block head of the village and bilal ahmed a tea vendor testified that salim had confessed to them regarding how the crime was committed salim said that shabnam had planned to kill her family on 14th of april salim had bought and handed over 10 sleeping tablets to shabnam he said that he bought the pills at her request shabnam then crushed the tablets into a powder and mixed them into her family's tea soon her family was unconscious she then called salim and asked him to come over to her house he reached her house with the axe shabnam held the necks of her family members and salim cut the necks one by one once this was done salim threw away the axe in a pond shabnam had apparently strangled her nephew the 10 month old baby arsh a lot of shabnam's relative especially her aunt fatima who now lives in that same house with her husband told the press that she could not believe that shabnam strangled the baby apparently she was very attached to arsh as you can recall they did not find any traces of diazepam in his blood or his viscera wait aren't sleeping tablets prescription based i mean i know you can only get those if you have a doctor's prescription 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But then again, this is India and it's really not difficult to find a corrupt pharmacist. Come on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, understand. So apparently, Salim on the morning of 14th April tried to purchase sleeping pills from a pharmacy, but he could not. He only bought some illegally from someone called Papu. Okay. Salim had in fact confessed to this much. Mobil Hussain, the pharmacist, also testified and corroborated to this. Wow. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. And there were also other witnesses who testified that Shabnam's family opposed to their relationship and that the two would often meet secretly at night. Like, how nosy is this neighbor? I mean, what are they doing spying on people at night? Oh, oh, keep that aside for a minute. The Supreme Court judgment calls them quote-unquote lovers. This is like Facepa moment to the max. Yeah. The prosecution claimed that Salim and Shabnam made frequent calls to each other between 7.30pm on April 14th and 1.09am on 15th April. There was a gap of 31 minutes, you know, the High Court judgment says. This, the prosecution said, was the time Salim was present in Shabnam's house and that is when the murders were carried out. 31 minutes. The two again spoke from 1.40am to 2.09am. It was after this that Shabnam cried out for help. In their defense, the couple denied all charges and said that they were falsely implicated and even turned against each other, which is something we see in a lot of trials. Uh, We saw that in the Neeraj Grover trial as well, when the two prime accused turned against each other. Yeah, Maria and Emil. Maria immediately started blaming Emil. After long drawn argument stage and final hearing, the trial court came to a judgment. It concluded that Shabnam and Salim hatched a gruesome murder plan by administering sleeping pills through uh, the family's tea and then slicing their throats with an axe while the family lay in a comatose state. The Amroha Session Court said that the case falls into the category of the rarest of rare cases and sentenced Shabnam and Salim to death penalty. In 2010, Shabnam and Salim approached Allahabad High Court. The High Court also upheld the death penalty given by the trial court. And this is a legal procedure, basically. Uh, If a session court awards a death penalty, then it has to be mandatorily confirmed by the High Court. It, It happens every time. So in this case, the High Court observed that the diabolical and calculated nature of the crime was committed after meticulously planning it. They also said that injuries on the bodies of the deceased were all on the neck or face or trunk, which supports the hypothesis that the murders were committed when the deceased was strongly sedated. Uh, There were no defense wounds. The axe, which was shown to the police by Salim, contained traces of human blood. They also noted that no mercy was shown to the baby, Arsh, who was uh, incidentally next in line to inherit the property. The court noted that the conduct of Shabnam in cleaning herself up of all the evidence of the crime and then changing her clothes and raising alarm for help. All of this created an impression that some outsiders had committed this crime. So these observations are important because they established that the crime was premeditated, that a lot of planning and preparation had gone into the murders. And this is important from a legal standpoint because if this had been a crime of passion, 
then it would be a lesser degree of uh, charge it would be a homicide it would not be a murder murder so that's why this is important the high court refused to accept the submission that shabnam was under great mental stress due to the opposition to her relationship from the family uh, it noted that there was no evidence of any threat or incidents of attack on either shabnam or salim the court also said that even if there were the act of killing seven members in a family in cold blood was disproportionate and uncalled for the court also said that shabnam's pregnancy and delivery of a child was no ground for reducing her sentence harsh okay crazy how the high court absolutely refused to take into consideration or even discuss any mitigating factors like usually even when they refuse a particular factor they give out an explanation that all wasn't there in this case they simply said no nothing doing so the high court said in most murder cases the accused have minor children or aged parents or a spouse who would be bereaved if the convict was executed yeah wow wow yeah bro this happened uh, again a little sensitivity training for judges is needed i mean this yeah. insensitive judge syndrome is totally getting out of hand 100% agreed 110% yeah and of course we can all see where this high court was heading in 2013 the high court upheld the death penalty as awarded by the trial court then the case went to supreme court but before we see what happened in the supreme court i think it makes sense to talk about taj who was salim and shabnam's 13 year old boy so taj was born in muradabad jail in 2008 he stayed in the jail till he was about 6 years of age so this is the age uh, at which the up jail manual uh, allows the child to stay with a mother or a father or a guardian in the jail after this the child's custody has to be given to a couple through a district bal kalyan samiti which is like a child welfare uh, organization after following a set of procedure for verification So Dr BD Pandey he is the jailer of Muradabad jail and he oversaw the adoption of Taj after making due in- inquiries he found a couple they were Usman Safi who was a journalist and his wife Vandana Singh who was a teacher and they were considered most appropriate for Taj's custody Taj was officially handed over to the couple in 2015 Now Shabnam wanted to hand over the boy to a fellow prisoner who assured her of taking care of him after her release from jail but Pandey saw red flags immediately and he said that he was not in favor of handing over a child to a woman who was a repeat offender and so the samiti rejected this person's name on his recommendation then after much persuasion Shabnam agreed to meet Usman and his wife and the procedure for handing over the boy was completed but this was not the first time that Usman had met Shabnam In fact, Shabnam and Usman went way back. Shabnam and Usman were college mates and met while traveling on a bus to attend classes at the JS Hindu Postgraduate College in Amroha back in 2003. They were bus mates and friends throughout the school. She was very helpful and she urged him to pursue and finish his studies because at one point he had completely lost all interest in education. but it was shabnam who insisted that he kept pursuing and she also paid his college fees 
After graduation, Shabnam became a Shiksha Mitra in a village school and Usman was inclined towards journalism. In 2008, Usman was shocked to learn that Shabnam and Salim had killed seven members of her family. Usman, now 37, is based in Bulandshahar in Uttar Pradesh. But back in 2008, after going through the news, he decided to write a book on Shabnam and her involvement in such a gruesome crime. He was amazed at how a person who would travel in a bus from her village to attend college and a few times even shared a seat with him would commit such a gruesome act. After the incident, Usman tried to meet her in jail, but Shabnam refused. Usman came to know that she had given birth to a boy in jail in 2008 and the Kalyan Samiti published a notice to give the child's custody to an appropriate couple. He gave up the idea of the book and decided to take the child's custody so that he could keep him away from jail life. Usman told the Indian Express in 2015 and I quote, The Shabnam you hear of, the woman on death row, is not the Shabnam I know. We went to the same college. She once paid my college fee when I couldn't. She would help me with my notes and stand up for me in college. All this just like an elder sister would. So when this happened, I was shocked. I told my wife that I owe a lot to Shabnam and must do this for her. So Usman married Vandana in May 2015 and the couple got custody of the boy in July 2015. Usman calls his wife as the real angel of the story. They decided not to have children of their own after taking custody of the boy as Vandana feared it would divide her love and affection. When her son was being sent to the couple, Shabnam had claimed that she feared for his life as the people who killed her family over a property dispute could harm him too. What? Yeah, man, I don't know. I really don't know. This is just very bizarre. So moving on. The Bal Kalyan Samiti renews custody of the boy every three months and it was last renewed in January 2021. The couple takes the boy to his mother in jail on the renewal day. This would continue until he attains the age of 18 and thereafter the boy would decide where he wants to stay. When Taj came to the couple in 2015, he had three wishes. He wanted to eat ice cream, meet Salman Khan and wear office dress, uh, coat and trousers. Usman fulfilled his first wish. They watched Salman Khan's movie Bajrangi Bhaijaan and then Usman bought him coat and trousers. Usman and Vandana describe Taj as a frank child who says everything on his mind. Taj aspires to be a district magistrate when he grows up because he wants to help people. Oh man, this is so this is amazing. I mean, Taj is so precious. I've seen his appeal to the president on YouTube and it's just heartbreaking. I mean, we're going to put that link in our show notes. Uh, I urge you guys to check it out. Yeah, I know. It's just very sad, but we should since we spoke about taj we should also talk about the inevitable property dispute that will arise as an offshoot of this case oh yeah the family properties and more importantly the house yeah yeah the tall rusting gates to shabnam's house open into a very unkempt lawn now on the right is a two storied house the balcony of which faces the main road it's almost like a daily reminder to the villagers of what happened that night 13 years ago 
Shaukat Ali's younger brother, Sattar Ali, and his wife, Fatima, moved into Shaukat Ali's house with their family in 2008. According to Sattar, a few days after the murder, Inspector Gupta asked him to move there before anyone else could take hold of the family property. This family, which earlier lived in a modest accommodation in a nearby village, has made a home for themselves on the ground floor of the house. The first floor remains uninhabited. Like it should. I mean, I can't imagine anyone wanting to live there. Yeah, true. Damn it. Nightmares. Even worse, since Sattar Ali treats it like a mausoleum and shows everyone who visits the place the bloodstains and whatnot. No, man. This is not called for. But obviously living in one of the biggest estates in the village however, has come at a price for Sattar and Fatima. They live in constant fear of being thrown out by villagers or distant relatives. Many times, apparently, distant relatives of the family have come to the property, thrown stones at them and tried to barge in. So the land on which the house stands, measuring around 9 acres or roughly 16 bigas, is owned in equal parts by Shaukat and Sattar. Located next to the main road, the property is prime real estate. And at current market prices, I think this was valued last in 2020, one biga can be sold for at least 35 to 40 lakhs. While Sattar is entitled to his eight bigas, it is Shaukat's share worth approximately three crore, including the house, whose ownership remains contested. So in the normal course of things, with her parents and brothers dead, Shabnam would have inherited Shaukat Ali's property. However, Section 114C of Uttar Pradesh Revenue Code 2006 states that a person who murders a landowner or abets the commission of such a murder will be disqualified from inheriting the interest of the deceased. So, Section 114D mandates that if a person is disqualified from inheriting the interest under Clause C, the interest being property here, the property will devolve as if the disqualified person had died before the death of the landowner. So obviously, Shabnam cannot stake a claim to the property. UP Revenue Board still lists the property under Shaukat Ali's name, but this can be changed whenever Sattar Ali files a pratnapatra or an application. So according to Muslim family law, Shaukat Ali's share will be inherited by a first-degree relative, which is Sattar Ali in this case. Muslim family law won't allow Taj to stake claim because uh, Shabnam wasn't legally married to Salim when she had him, so technically he's an illegitimate child. Whatever happens in the next few weeks, I do hope Taj gets to do what he wants to in his life. In September 2015, the then Uttar Pradesh governor, Ram Nayak, rejected Shabnam's plea for mercy, which she had sought on the ground of her responsibility towards her son, Mohammed Taj. In August 2016, the then-president Pranab Mukherjee rejected her mercy petition. In her mercy petitions, Shabnam had stated that she wanted to ensure that a child grows up as a good citizen. She claimed to be innocent and alleged that her family was murdered because of a property dispute. Okay, now let's talk about the appeal in the Supreme Court. The arguments were firstly only restricted to the question of the death penalty. Shabnam and Salim's case was that the prosecution case from the trial court was based on circumstantial evidence completely. They again submitted that the following mitigating circumstances 
had to be considered by the court. One, Shabnam and Salim were young at that time when they committed the crime. Two, they were under severe mental stress because of the opposition to their relationship from the Ali family. Three, Shabnam was pregnant. The Supreme Court looked into the evolution of the death penalty jurisprudence in India and examined how this case can or cannot fall in the rarest of the rare category. Just like the High Court did, the Supreme Court also examined Shapnam's level of education and that she should have known better than to commit murder was also mentioned as an aggravating factor by the High Court. Ultimately, in January 2020, as we all know by now, the Supreme Court upheld the decision of the High Court and essentially said that Salim and Shabnam both deserve the death penalty for their actions on 14th April 2008. To the court, the fact that Shabnam was a daughter who had committed parricide was so unforgivable that no mitigating circumstance could negate it. In the words of the court, the Supreme Court, in an educated and civilized society, a daughter plays a multifaceted and indispensable role in the family, especially towards her parents. She's a caregiver and a supporter, a gentle hand and a responsible voice, an embodiment of the cherished values of our society, and in whom parent places blind faith and trust. The court did not stop there. It went on to indict Shabnam for having committed the crime despite being educated. This case, said the court, the daughter who has been brought up in an educated and independent environment by her family and was respectfully employed as a Siksha Mitra in the school, influenced by love and lust of her paramour, has committed this brutal parasite. Yeah. Not only did she forget her love and duty towards her family, but also perpetrated the multiple homicide in her own house so as to fulfill her desire to be with Salim, the co-accused. So the possibility of reform was explicitly rejected by the High Court considering the extreme brutality and the diabolical nature of the offence. The Supreme Court, on the other hand, didn't even look into this aspect. Yeah. You know what is very strange about the Supreme Court judgment? What? Even though both Shabnam and Salim were the appellants before it, the Supreme Court focused only on Shabnam's culpability. Yeah, I read the whole judgment end to end. The abdication of her role as a daughter and her giving into lust and committing parasite was important to them. Whether the crime amounted to actual rarest of the rare cases for Salim was not even considered. Yeah, I, I read the judgment and there is basically no discussion about Salim anywhere. So there is this very sexist undertone to the Supreme Court judgment. On the one hand, they are talking about how Shabnam committed parasite and how that is the worst sin that she could have done while completely ignoring the fact that she was a mother whose child would be orphaned if her execution was carried out by the state. What was glaringly obvious in this case was a clear non-consideration of any mitigating factor while sentencing. So m mitigating factors are any factors that can help lessen the sentence like young age or lack of criminal antecedent or uh, whether the accused has any dependence, whether the conviction was in circumstantial evidence, how was the uh, convict's conduct in prison, etc. etc. So for all those of you who are legally inclined, you can read this report by Project 39A called Death Penalty Sentencing in Trial Courts. So this research was carried on in National Law University, Delhi. 
So in this research, they looked at how trial courts in Delhi, Maharashtra and Madhya Pradesh looked at mitigating factors while giving death penalty. Essentially pointing to quite a scary scenario where trial courts are not even adhering to the rarest of rare distinction as given in the criminal law case law. If Shabnam is executed, then she will be the first woman in independent India to be hanged for a crime. On February 18th, Shabnam filed a second mercy petition with the governor of Uttar Pradesh and president of India, both of whom rejected her earlier pleas. On 18th February, the 12-year-old Taj appealed to President Ramnath Kovind to forgive his mother. Before she is hanged, Shabnam still has some legal remedies left. Shabnam actually has very few but crucial constitutional remedies that can be exercised. She can challenge the rejection of her mercy petition before the Allahabad High Court and the Supreme Court on various grounds. She also has the right to file a curative petition in the Supreme Court against the decision. So a curative petition can challenge the Supreme Court decision of January 2020, which upheld her death sentence. Essentially, a curative petition is filed against a review order that is given against a judgment that is passed by the Supreme Court. So this is literally her last chance before the Supreme Court. Also, under the law, if multiple people have been sentenced to death in the same case, they have to be executed together. So Shabnam and Salim can only be hanged if after both of them exhaust all their legal recourses. So even though the death warrant, the final execution order is yet to be issued, jail authorities at the prison where Shabnam is being held have started making arrangements to carry out the sentence. Also, here's a fact. In India, women can only be hung in one prison. Aditi, guess which one? Dude, it's all over the news. It's Mathura prison. And of course, the only prison that hangs women prisoners had to be in UP. Of course. So Mathura is the only prison where women prisoners can be executed. It's rusty gallows built 150 years ago are being repaired because they haven't been used since India's independence in 1947. The female execution room has not even been used till now. The only mention of this hanging room in India can be found in UP's jail manual of 1956, which lays out elaborate rules for the execution of women convicts on death row. The jail is situated near Jawahar Bagh, which witnessed a bloody struggle in 2016 between the police and members of the little-known armed sect led by Ramrik Shyadav, who called themselves followers of Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. Internal preparations have started in Mathura jail for maintaining the hanging premises. Uh, hangman Pavan Jalad has inspected the hanging noose to check the condition of the hanging dock, the liver and rope. Pavan Jalad actually told the press that he visited the hanging house in the jail and noticed some issues in the throne, lever and the dock. He said that the administration has gotten around to fixing it. Pavan Jalad also said that the hanging house needs maintenance as it has not been used for a long time. If you guys can recall, Pavan Jalad was the hangman who hanged the accused in the Nirbhaya case. Okay, now I might be crucified for saying this, but my mind just went to Walden McNair sharpening his axe before the execution of Buckbeak. Okay, sorry, I had to say it. This has the same vibes. It's okay, it's okay. It's been a year now. People are used to your random <laughs> shit takes on things. If not, you are used to their random shit takes on you. Thanks, Aditi. Thanks for all the support. Also, Jay Narayan Mishra, an electrician who works in the jail, 
told the press that he has never witnessed capital punishment of a woman in the 17 years he'd worked there. Misha also said that the hanging house is not in top condition at the moment and it needs to be fixed before the hanging. But Madura Jail has ordered two hanging ropes from Bihar's Baksar Central Jail. So as far as the Mathura jail is concerned it has a capacity of about 554 inmates but houses currently more than 1600 inmates for a capacity of 30 women prisoners more than 100 women are currently jailed in this jail yeah but then this is the only prison where women convicts on death row will be hanged and this has been specifically again mentioned in the jail manual and the hanging room by all whatever we could hear about it is in a desolate state apparently no one visits there there is hardly anything left there doors have broken down walls have withered bushes and shrubs have grown there the iron liver of the gallows has probably rusted over a period of time now in india there are currently 12 women on death row In the past the mercy pleas by step sisters Renuka Shinde and Seema Mohan Gavit were rejected by the president. The sisters were charged with kidnapping and killing several children in Maharashtra between 1990 and 1996. They are currently awaiting their death warrants. So here we want to talk about another convict named Ramshree who was sentenced to death in 1998 but she gave birth to a child in prison. and because of this her death warrant was commuted to life imprisonment and ramshree's case is very similar to shabnam's in the sense that ramshree was also convicted in a case where she attacked and killed another family along with her father and her brother alabad high court sentenced the three of them to de- death penalty ramshree was even brought to mathura jail for her execution Kallu Jalad the hangman and Pawan Jalad's grandfather was summoned as soon as the death warrant was signed as the official terminator of UP prisons Kallu was the executioner of Biant Singh one of the men who assassinated Indira Gandhi Ramshree's death warrant was signed for April 6 1998 the high court amid protests stayed her hanging on March 20th finally on August 26th of the same year her death sentence was commuted to life imprisonment and reason cited because she gave birth in prison to a baby girl ramshree's jail term ended in 2010 and we didn't find any news about her so we're assuming that she might have been released if you cannot see the similarities and zero in on the obvious differences between the two women let us break it down for you ramshree is hindu and shabnam is muslim this glaringly obvious difference is a testament to the current indian scenario Just to give you concrete facts so later we won't get angry letters here are some hard truths 19% of all prisoners in indian jails are muslim uttar pradesh has the highest number of muslim and dalit prisoners 18.81% so almost 19% of all under trial uh, prisoners in india are muslims this is higher than their share in country's population which is around 14 to 15% so they're overrepresented in india's criminal justice system A study conducted in August 2019 showed that the police in India display a significant bias against Muslims. They feel that Muslims are naturally prone towards committing crimes. So they are more likely to get arrested, they are more likely to get sentenced, and as you can see in Shabnam's case, more likely than Hindus to be actually hanged. 
So this report which surveyed 12,000 police personnel in 21 Indian states also found that one in three police staff felt mob violence in cases of cow slaughter was a natural thing. Bro. <laughs> so guys, we laid it all out here and we encourage you to form your own opinions. Shabnam is currently in the Bareilly District Jail as on March 1st, 2021. This was because a photograph of her taken in the Rampur jail where she was previously held went viral in social media. The incident obviously was a s- breach of security and violation of the jail manual. As of now, Shabnam waits to hear the outcome of her newly filed mercy petitions. Her lawyers are working to o- ensure that they give her a chance to every remedy available to her. Meanwhile, in Bhavan Kheri, the opinion is divided. A few villagers say that she doesn't deserve the death penalty. However, her uncle Satar has told multiple press companies that he will not bury her if she is hanged. He says that he doesn't want anything to do with her. He says they forgot her a long time ago. I just yeah, I know I just wanted to say one final thing before we end this uh, part. Uh we don't believe in the death penalty sneha and i we don't believe it has any impact on crime there is no deterrent effect multiple studies have been performed in other jurisdictions as well in the united states in the uk and in canada and no definitive link has been found between the prevalence of the death penalty uh and reduction or increase in crime so first of all it is pointless second of all particularly in this case death penalty for shabnam will punish shabnam yes sure but it is going to punish a child more so our opposition to that penalty does not stem from sympathies to shabnam there is no defense for what she's done she's killed seven members of her family including a baby in cold blood or at least she has assisted in their murders so whatever she has done is reprehensible there is no excuse for it no defense for it and definitely she should be punished but it doesn't have to be killing her right because there is a child who needs his mother alive as flawed as she is she is a mother to taj who wants her alive he's not asking that she be exempted from her responsibilities i completely agree with this and you know how much i read about death penalty yeah, and you know yeah. my views on it i yeah. don't agree with it either and especially in a country like ours where people don't learn i mean you don't even <laughs> have to think about going so far as talking about death penalty even if like you're playing as kids and somebody gets hurt we'll still do the same shit and we still get hurt or beaten or scolded or yelled at it's the same thing at a very high you know level so i don't believe this will work in india and mm, yeah yeah and and i know i know and you know why she's being executed so i just hope it all works out for her in the end mm. because you know she has a s- wow this got pretty loaded in the end but this was the story of shabnam ali the first indian woman who may be hanged in independent india let us know what you think of the case and we hope you enjoyed this khuniversary special but 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 because this is a special episode but before we go here's a tiny update in the madanapalli double murder case as we last told you the parents of the girls have been shifted to a, a government hospital for mental care in vishakhapatnam 
they have been undergoing psychiatric observation and treatment it now seems that the mother padmaja did not kill both her daughters but only the older daughter alekha divya the younger one was killed by alekha the couple have been administered psychiatric medication and they've undergone psychometric analysis tests and a brachiation procedure to help doctors arrive at an understanding of their uh, psychological state so in abrogation uh, which is a psychoanalytical process for reliving re- or reconstructing an experience to purge it of its emotional excesses a patient is actually given anesthesia then in their subconscious state the patients are walked through their experience this is sort of hypnosis on drugs so the couple in this case have been consistent about a single murder being committed by padmaja and not double murders The father V Purushottam Naidu has apparently reconciled to the fact that his daughters will not come back and now he is in a depressed and suicidal state. Wow, this case just keeps getting weirder and weirder. I just hope that the couple gets all the medical attention they need. I mean, mental health is a taboo to talk about in our country and and you know, we keep ignoring this problem and brushing it under the carpet and this has led to cases like this and probably even Burari. So, right? This is the end of this episode. As usual, you know what to do. Hit subscribe or like wherever you listen to us so that you are updated as soon as we upload an episode. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and maybe write a review if you have the time. Uh we give shoutouts to all our reviews on our socials, even the negative ones. Also, a big thank you to Anlin Joseph who bought our stickers this week. Thank you Anlin. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all next Monday. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Since we don't have an episode on the 29th, here's wishing Aditi a very, very, very happy birthday. <laughs> she's a jolly good fellow. Ah. She's a jolly good fellow. <laughs> I forgot what comes after that. But thank you so much for teaching me the word pensive, dude, and staying in my life all these years. Aww. Have a blast. Thank Sunday. you. Thank you, Sneha. Bye. Bye.